This podcast does not constitute medical advice. All changes surrounding medications, diet and exercise should be made in consultation with a professional who can assess your unique health circumstances. Welcome to the Rheumatoid Solutions Podcast with Clint Patterson, helping you to live an easier, healthier, and happier life. Welcome back to rheumatoidsolutions.com. Today, we have a very special guest who I'm really excited to present to you. And I was thinking, how can I introduce him appropriately? And this is, this is what I thought. I thought, imagine if you were trying to put together the perfect rheumatologist. What would you want? You would want someone who understood all of the science around the lifestyle impact on your condition. That includes the microbiome and everything to do with exercise and sleep and so on. And also, you'd want someone who was available in these COVID or post-COVID times through telehealth, someone you could call and say, look, I'm going through a tough time. I'd like to connect with you about these issues. And so you can do it all from home. And thirdly, you'd want someone who is really empathetic. We've all had, well, a lot of us have had some experiences where doctors are just sort of disconnected with us. And we want someone who can really connect with the emotional and the uh, social impact that having this disease has on us. And so this person has all three. I bring to you today a plant-based doctor who is an integrated rheumatologist who also just happens to have rheumatoid arthritis himself. So the empathy is through the roof. And so Dr. Micah, you thank you for joining us today. Oh, thank you so much, Clint. I'm uh, honored to be on your show and thank you so much for everything you're doing for the community. Yeah, it's uh, it's going to be fun to begin this relationship together and work with you. It's like finally some planets have aligned and we've met. I heard originally uh, of your work via a lot of our community who sent me emails saying, hey, have you heard of this rheumatologist at the time when plant, uh, it was Forks Over Knives, published an article about you. And so to, to kick this off, uh, we all love a good story. Well, tell us how, first of all, your personal story with your health and how did your, you know, health deteriorate, end up with the condition? Yeah, no, I, I love telling this story because um, it's uh, one that um, really got me to where I am today. So I, it all started back in high school when I was about 16 or 17 years old. I was an American football player. Uh, a bench warmer. <laughs> I was <laughs> I was uh, rather overweight at that time. I was overweight and unhealthy. I I want to get stronger. I want to lose weight. Um, so back then, the Atkins diet was very very popular. So I went on Atkins diet. I for over I would say six months. I was eating about two hundred grams of protein a day. Almost I weighed about hundred and fifty pounds, hundred sixty pounds or more. And it caught up to me. Um, I didn't know the risk of going on an Atkins diet, which now has transformed to more of a keto diet, but that's what they call it these days. So after six months or so overnight, um, all of a sudden, boom, my big toe flared, pain on the big toe. It felt like someone got a piece of wood and slammed it overnight. I, I woke up immediately. My father, who is a, medicine doctor said, 
you have gout. Um, he drew my uric acid. It was off the charts. It was 13, 14 at the time. Usually in patients with um, gout, we want the uric acid to be six or below. So mine was 14. And I was limping. Of course, they, they had some dietary recommendations back then. Don't drink alcohol, eat less uh, protein, eat less meat. So I did eat less meat. I stopped doing the Atkins diet. But I went off to college and I lived the college lifestyle. I, I didn't go vegan, vegetarian. I still ate meat. Um, I drank alcohol every now and then, like a normal 20-year-old. Yeah. And um, I, I would flare almost every month <laughs> still <laughs> with gout. <laughs> it was not fun. Uh, I would be lucky if I went on with three months without gout uh, flares. But, you know, it, I, after college, um, I would still flare. And um, it's, the disease actually took on a different twist. I started getting joint pains in my TMJs, my wrists, my ankles, my knees. I wouldn't be able to eat food for weeks on end because of inflammation. I would literally be able to feel my TMJ swollen. I would be eating yogurt because I can eat soft foods for weeks in a row. I would miss school for a couple of weeks at a time. Um, I actually had to drop my chemistry class because I couldn't get out of bed because um, my feet were so swollen at one point. Mm. Um, and this will carry on to medical school. During medical school, I didn't really learn much about nutrition. And um, so I kept eating the way I was, uh, eating frozen food, salty, fast food, you name it. I was a busy med student. So I didn't really um, take care of myself. And unfortunately, um, no, I didn't get taught about this. No doctors during medical school taught me anything about nutrition. I saw different rheumatologists two different ones, one at a university, one at a um, community setting. My inflammatory markers were high. I was on gout medications at the time. Um, my uric acid was well, well controlled. So they were saying, um, you have something else going on. You, you just don't have gout. Um, and I was suspected the same thing. My, all my autoimmune antibody labs were all negative. So it was very, very confusing what was going on. So fast forward, I go to residency. And then I meet the rheumatologist at my residency. And um, that's where I also did my rheumatology fellowship at Loma Linda University. And they did you say Loma, at, at Loma, Loma, Linda? Loma Linda University. Oh, one um, of the blue zones. Yeah, yeah the blue zones. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, wow. Wow. Yeah. I wonder, was that deliberate or was that just fortuitous? My family, uh, we, I grew up in Southern California. So my wife is also a doctor. So uh, we both wanted to come back home to Southern California. And Loma Linda is one of the, few universities uh, that offer residencies. Um, so that's how we end up at Loma Linda University. And uh, it's a coincidence, it's one of the blue zones as well. But at Loma Linda University, they have lifestyle medicine there that promote um, plant-based eating, but during uh, residencies and doctor training, we don't get taught that at all. So mm-hmm. um, it, it, all the departments are very much siloed. So during residency, the rheumatologist there, they, I had a flare going on. So I had them actually scan my tendons and they noticed that it was inflamed and they said it's something called enthesitis, which is, so enthesis is um, the point where your tendons attach to your bones. It's a very, very small area. And when it's inflamed, it's called enthesitis. So that was inflamed. And at that point they said, you know, it sounds like you have something called spondyloarthritis, which is a cousin of rheumatoid arthritis. So if you've heard of ankylosing spondylitis, I have a variation of that. I don't have the low back pain, but I have, I do have the pain on my, TMJs, my arms and my legs. Um, so it, there's, there's a, a variations of it. 
Um, so psoriatic arthritis is in the same family as well. And then uh, a couple months later, I actually had a swollen foot and they drained, they put a needle and they drained my foot. And I got diagnosed with pseudo gout. I had calcium deposits in my foot. And that can be from inflammation, from chronic inflammation as well. So here I am, I have three diagnoses, gout, pseudo gout, and uh, spondyloarthritis. Very fun, right? And at the same time, I'm working 80 hour weeks um, during residencies. Um, so during my first year of residency, during the IC rotation, I literally could not, uh, I couldn't get to work without limping for the first two weeks of the rotation. IC is one of the most stressful rotations in medicine. And I had to literally lift my leg up because my hip was swollen. It would not move. It felt like something was keeping the tendon down. So I would literally lift it up and down. And during the, rot the uh, um, rotation, they actually told me to sit because they, I was visibly limping, but I didn't want to skip work. So, um, you know, I, that was the way it was. That was one of the worst times during my residency. Mm. Um, I mean, I would flare every now and then, but that was the, one of the worst flares I ever had. So, you know what, uh, my wife, um, she started to learn what lifestyle medicine was at Loma University. That was our family's first exposure to lifestyle medicine and plant-based nutrition. And um, she, during Thanksgiving, she cooked a plant-based meal. And I thought it was disgusting, to be honest. I was like, what is this? I'm so used to eating fast food. Um, you know, I, I thought I was eating healthy. I didn't eat that much fast food anymore, but I would eat out. Um, still have some frozen food, um, processed frozen food. Um, and, and it would sound to me like you were eating quickly. Like you were so busy 80 hours a week in those environments, those situations, you're kind of, you, it's microwave stuff. It's on the go. It's takeaway. It's, I haven't got time to cook. I just got to eat. Cause I got to get back to work. Exactly. You, you come mm. home. I mean, on the worst rotation, it'll be 80 hours or plus, um, on the good ones, it'll be 45 hours, 60 hours. Mm. Um, so yeah, in the morning, grab, uh, a bar. A processed bar to go to work. I mean, that's very typical. Eat a cereal, eat dairy. Um, no one really teaches you things, these um, mm. nutrition things, right? So yeah, Thanksgiving comes, comes around, plant-based meal, didn't get used to it. So months go on. Um, this is my first exposure to a plant-based meal was November of 2017. Um, this is my last year of residency. So towards the end of um, residency, which is about spring of 2018, I end up going to Guam for a rotation. And from there, it's an SDA community. It's um, this is a field of global university. So that those doctors and nurses there, they're SDA. So they were eating plant based. They were eating a vegetarian diet. So I started learning more about plant based eating there. I grabbed Dr. Gregor's um, How Not to Die book. So I read it during that month. Read the potential transformations that patients can have. So I said, okay, let's give this a shot. So when I come back to the United States, I this is May now of 2018. I watched Forks Over Knives. I'm like, all right, let's do this. Give this a couple months. Let's see what happens. So I went on a plant-based diet for a couple months. And within two months, my pain drastically went away. I, I was even questioning whether I had the disease anymore. And then within three months, um, I had another blood draw. My C-reactive protein went negative after 10 years of being positive. And C-reactive protein is an inflammatory marker. Sure. My ESR um, was still positive, but fell down by half. So still, I was very impressed. So I would say that it's gone. I mean, I was in, I was in remission for two years. Um, so these days, I, I do eat some processed food. Um, I eat no meat. I work overnight sometimes, so I, there is stress. I'm working seven days a week. I'm trying to build up 
um, social media, I'm working all the time. Um, so when there's some stress there, um, there's some pain, aches and pains there, but it's like a one out of 10, two out of 10 pain. Nothing like it was before where I'm limping, I can't eat. I don't experience that anymore. Um, I don't, I've never taken medications for spinal arthritis. I, I noticed that there was some food correlation before I even discovered plant-based nutrition. Yeah. I just didn't know what it was. Um, so I refused it. I, even though I was a doctor, I know that there's potential side effects and I didn't want to have those yeah. side effects, even though the rheumatologist I was working with, like were pushing me to take it. So my thing was, if I saw x-ray damages, my joints, that was my green light that it's time to take meds. But luckily it never got to that point. And I recently had my last um, blood draw back in January and my ESR was finally negative after I would say 13 years of being positive. So everything's negative now. It's amazing. Yeah. When you say negative, just to clarify, does that mean like uh, less than uh, uh, 20 millimeters per hour? Or do you mean like down to like three, four millimeters per hour? Yeah. So every lab has different um, yeah. numbers that are normal. I think yeah. it was like three or four. Yeah. Which is, you know, there's a natural separation due to gravity that's going on. You cannot defy gravity. There's going to be, you can't have an ESR of zero, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it's normal to have some ESR. Exactly. Yeah. 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 And it's not very accurate too. I have patients that flare right in front of me who have normal ESR CRP. It, true. And and uh, one of my rheumatologists told me that, uh, you know, it's also, that's one of the very few labs that is still done by eye. So there is a, there's a parallax error as well when it comes to taking that measurement because it's done with, you know, a, a human intervention, which, uh, you know, is not uh, as reliable. It's really fascinating. Uh, a couple of things came up there before we get into the, the content of what I wanted to, to go across with you. I love that you brought up this concept of, of, really, really, uh, uh, the, the tendonitis that you're experienced that you, that you had the symptoms of and the connective point between the bone and the tendon, it's so common, not just in spondyloarthritis, but in just, you know, the rheumatoid and regular inflammatory or more, uh, more rheumatoid ish arthritis for that to happen as well. And I found that engagement of the muscles so that that connective, uh, tendon it gets blood flow and gets strengthened. It reduces that sensitivity. Have you found that through exercise as well? Um, you know what? I haven't noticed a correlation or I haven't been looking to it. So right. yeah. I'm, I'm pretty sure there is. Um, exercise is anti-inflammatory. I yeah. encourage all patients and my followers to exercise. It's one of the best things you can do for autoimmune disease. Mm, yeah. Okay, great. Well, we'll get into that in a minute. And the other question I had for you was, what do you think was the trigger for this inflammation? I think we've covered that really well. You mentioned how, you know, you were eating that Atkins diet. You basically went into this massive high fat, low fiber environment, which mm-hmm. is going to stir everyone up, right? So that that yeah. that's sort of, you've covered that in detail. So you've started your own clinic. You've got this this dream-like clinic for people in our community who look towards integrative approaches from their doctors, and you've started it with your wife. Um, Tell us about your clinic before we talk about how you interact with patients. Tell us what you've set up. Yeah, so it's uh, the clinic is called Dr. Lifestyle. The reason why it's called Dr. Lifestyle is because um, me and my wife, we uh, when we discovered um, lifestyle medicine and plant-based nutrition, we decided to go public with it and um, just talk about it. And our social media handle at the time was called Dr. Lifestyle 101, a t- teaching about lifestyle. Um, but we have since separated our social medias because she's primary care and I'm 
of rheumatology autoimmune disease. So I want to, we want to focus on what we want to talk about. So that's uh, where our clinic name has come from, uh, Dr. Lifestyle. So she does primary care lifestyle medicine, and she also does psychiatry. And I share um, the same office with her where I do integrative rheumatology. And yeah, that's, that's what uh, we offer. And um, I can definitely go into what we, how we practice and everything like that. Here. Yeah, let's do that next. Let's say just because of our audience who are listening or watching this, who might have inflammatory arthritis, um, what do they, what, what is their experience? Let's say you've got a new patient who, who comes in. Um, what's the typical experience for that person? Uh, and also cover whether or not that person is mostly coming to you because of your integrative approach or whether or not you're just the local rheumatologist who's the first one on Google, you know, what's your mix and what do you do with that people? Right. So, um, I, at my clinic, I, um, have mixed of them. So there's people that just find me on Google, um, yep. have good reviews on there and <laughs> they don't even know that I'm integrative. Um, but there are the people that do see me internationally and throughout the country, um, in the United States are finding me through social media because I am an integrative rheumatologist. And um, so when patients first come to me, um, it's an hour visit and I don't take insurance in my clinic typically because I, I spend so much time with patients going through everything. Um, so I go through their regular um, symptoms um, just to make sure there's no misdiagnosis um, with their disease because misdiagnosis is very common in rheumatology, autoimmune disease. It's a lot of these symptoms overlap with each other. Um, and also a lot of rheumatologists, um, different rheumatologists get different experiences during the training. Um, so there's some diseases that I saw a lot in my training that other rheumatologists in the other classes don't see that much. So that can be possible as well. So I go over symptoms. I go over medication, your typical visit, medication, symptoms. Um, do you drink? Do you do drugs? All these different things. Um, so really clinch down that diagnosis. Um, but then I get into the lifestyle medicine aspect. I really dig into the nutrition, um, sleep, exercise stress levels, trauma, and environmental toxins as well. So um, not only am I approaching from a lifestyle aspect, but I'm also getting training in, I'm in my second fellowship now in an integrated medicine at University of Arizona. It's a two-year fellowship through the Andrew Weil program. I don't know if you know who he is. He's that bald guy with the long beard. He's mm -hmm. integrative. So it's his program. So it's two years long and I try to incorporate that. So I'm learning about Ayurveda. Chinese medicine, I'm learning about uh, aromatherapy with essential oils, supplements, herbs. So I'm learning about these things. And I'm also learning about functional medicine right now as well. So I'm learning about uh, environmental toxins, how to detox and all these different aspects of food as well that can impact autoimmune disease. So I'm really trying to grab all these different complementary medicine fields to combine it with rheumatology, because I don't think that there's one complete answer for autoimmune disease. It's such a wide spectrum and every person's different. So during my clinic, I really dig into the environment of toxins, um, heavy metals, if there's any exposure to that. And then um, I put that all together with the patient and I really try to see what the patient's goal is. Do they want to go plant-based? Are they ready for that yet? Or they, do they want to take it step-by-step? Because I've, I have, so there's a, in my experience, there's a wide spectrum. There's some patients that just cut out dairy and they get a lot better. But there are some patients that have to go all the way, whole food plant-based, no salt, sugar, oil to feel really good. Um, so everyone's different. So my what I do is I have to figure out what the patient's threshold is because I don't want them to go whole food plant-based SOS without sugar, oil and revert back to a 
um, complete omnivore eating processed food. I've seen that before. Um, so I'm learning from my experiences back when I was uh, training because I was, I was trying to do, I was trying to put everyone on a whole food plant-based diet, but some people just flipped within a week. Mm. So it's, everyone's a little different. So it really depends on what your goals are, um, whether you want to be on medications completely or you want to be off completely. Um, what's your goal? My goal is to get patients off of medications, but in a very safe way. And every, yeah, so everyone's different and that's how I approach my patients. And with regard to medications, if the patient is, has a mild disease, then I, I do more diet and I give them, I wait a little bit longer before I actually prescribe the biologics or the medications. But if they're flaring very hard in front of me, I have a very low threshold of putting them on medications um, right away because my goal is to control the inflammation. And I've seen patients die from rheumatoid arthritis, from lupus and all these different diseases. So I know when things can get serious. And so I had a patient who I'm seeing in another state who has new onset lupus with um, lupus of the kidneys. Um, so I didn't mess around with that. I've seen patients yeah. die from that. So I really put them on steroids and high dose of um, medications and put them on, yeah. on a plant-based diet at the same time so that I can get them off medication sooner um, than if they were not doing that. Um, so that's how I approach all my autoimmune disease and arthritis patients. Yeah, it's beautiful. It's kind of, uh, you know, what um, I have come to understand is also completely appropriate um, with regards to trying to heal the gut and reverse the issues in the stomach. You can't do it when you're highly inflamed. Mm -hmm. now, I've seen this time and time again. I experienced it myself and I witness it with a lot of really hopeful people who just say, hey, I just want to change my diet. I don't want to take the meds. My CRP is 50. I just want to do it. I can do it. And look, the intention is beautiful, but this disease is brutal. This is like the giant enemy of all enemies. And I've read studies about the coexistence of gut inflammation with joint inflammation. You can't, it's just so difficult to win the arm wrestle against the inflammation when it's really high because that triggers oxidative stress, which creates more inflammation and you're in this vicious cycle. So the, the way you have described uh, so eloquently is, is, is the ideal approach, which is if you're really inflamed, let's get the inflammation under control because my view is it's easier to eventually taper and in some cases get off drugs after a while than what it is to beat the inflammation when it's high without any drugs. Exactly. Yeah. You know, um, you, you hit it right on the spot. And also with rheumatoid arthritis, it's not just the joints you're hurting. Okay. You can get something called uveitis, which I'm sure you're very aware of. Yeah. yeah. So with the eye inflammation, I've seen that time and time again, um, the scleritis of the eye, um, you can get strokes, you can get heart attacks, you can get, um, heart disease from rheumatoid. So I've seen that you can get rheumatoid arthritis that attack the lungs. I've seen that as well. Um, so if, if you're going to try to do diet alone and you're flaring very, very hard and your diet, let's say you go on the diet, whatever anti-inflammatory diet you decide to go on and you're still flaring and you haven't found the right one. It's months go by and your joints are getting eaten away and everything's going on. You're still on medications. Um, you're asking for trouble. So yes. you gotta be very, very careful. Yeah, most definitely. So do you get some patients who have that expectation that here we go, I've finally got an appointment to see Dr. Yu. I'm going to get off all my meds. What sort of 
I know it's case by case, but, uh, you know, along the lines of what we've been talking about, do you set some expectations here and, and sort of just say, well, you know, let's look at maybe a year from now. And I mean, can you talk through that, that expectation setting? Yeah. So it all comes down to um, how they are as a patient first, mm-hmm. right? So I decide whether they're a mild case or a serious case. And I tell them, you know what, it's possible that if you go on anti-inflammatory diet, like a plant-based diet, that within a couple of months, your disease can get a lot better. But there's also a chance that you might not be in um, resolution. You might still have some disease there. Just I tell patients my story just because I got a lot better and my pain went completely away doesn't mean that yours will. Everybody's different. I tell them there's so much to autoimmune disease that's still undiscovered. And they're still at the beginning of research. You have your environmental toxins. You have heavy metals. You have the pollution. There's association with just pollution and rheumatoid arthritis. And this was in the, um, the prestigious journal of arthritis and rheumatology. There's some things that you just can't control. Um, stress levels can um, cause disease flares as well. So you have all these things going on. So even if you go on a plant-based diet or another uh, anti-inflammatory diet, it doesn't mean that you're going to be in complete resolution. Uh, mm. But I, I present the best case scenario, but also the worst case scenario is that you, you probably will get better, but you will sort of still need meds. Mm-hmm. You mentioned you mentioned prednisone uh, as one of the options to get inflammation under control quickly. And again, it's very case by case, but um uh, you know, the, with all of the contraindications or, or, or counter, I call it counterproductive effects of prednisone on the gut. It causes leaky guts, especially when used with non-steroidal anti-inflammatories. Do you make the patient aware that prednisone and these painkillers should be only for short term and that we really, if you've got a, a good amount of inflammation going on, we need a disease modifying or a biologic drug? Exactly. Yeah. So I tell the patients when I do put them on prednisone, um, I tell them I have a love-hate relationship with this drug. Yeah, um, yeah. My love for this drug is that it works very fast. My hate for this drug is that it gives you so many side effects. Not only the leaky gut that you talk about, but uh, osteoporosis. It gives you diabetes, insomnia, mood swings, and so many different things. Um, so this is the sentiment amongst all rheumatologists. But unfortunately, in medicine, uh, we're not at the point where we have something that can act very quickly within like a day or two. So I tell patients, you know what, the steroids, the prednisone is a temporary measure, but I have to put it on the second agent. The whole purpose of the second agent is to get you off of the steroids um, faster. Um, the steroids are very, very temporary. Yeah, I love it. I love it. Um, yep, yeah, I love it. It's, it's like we just have overlapped sentences coming out of our mouths all the time. So I, you know, I and the concept of the bridge, of the steroid bridge to wait for the methotrexate or whatever, Plaquenil, whatever it might be. Do you employ that strategy in most instances? My, my, my feeling with that is sometimes the prednisone can sort of mask the patient's or the, my client's experience with whether or not the, non, the DMARD is actually beginning to work and then they get stuck on prednisone and then six months go by, they're still on the steroid and that's been then detrimental for their gut. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's why it requires um, frequent follow-ups with the rheumatologist. Because so in my clinic, I I try not to give steroids, and really I'm pushing hard on the anti-inflammatory diet and anti-inflammatory lifestyle yeah. with the yeah. plant-based diet. 
And I tell them, if you eat this like this with a plant-based diet, I mean, you'll, you'll, you'll get off the steroids faster, even have to give it. But we can tell whether patients are responding to the DMAR, like a methotrexate or not, because when patients are on steroids, we usually don't just keep them on for a long time. We'll taper it. And as they taper, if they're still not, if they're flaring still, that means that DMAR is not working, right? So that methotrexate is not working. So I might have to put another um, medication, um, another DMAR or another biologic. And my determination whether to go on biologic or not is um, how serious the disease are. And um, sometimes I feel like the biologics are better than methotrexate because methotrexate, I feel like it's a dirty drug. Um, it's so many side effects, a lot of GI upset, diarrhea, nausea, vomiting. And in fatigue, right? It's tremendous amount of fatigue. I used to feel like I was a walking zombie. Um, and this is not to hate. Of course, we're not hating on drugs. We're just saying the reality is uh, for a lot of people uh, that these uh, the med can make you feel not yourself. And I just felt like I just had to have a nap every afternoon on methotrexate. So yeah, you're right. Yeah. Let's, let's talk about the biologic drugs. What's become evident to me in the last few years is that you know, when I, like I, this is my 15th year or something since I was diagnosed. Oh, wow. And when I was first diagnosed, the biologic drugs were, was sort of, yes, I think Enbrel was on the table and so forth, but it was considered like, you got to be like the worst, like end of life scenario before we'll go on a biologic drug, look out, like you're on this chemical thing. But now it seems like it's become the treatment of choice. And, it, and if your insurance company in the US covers it, you could actually go straight on to that. Is that correct? Oh, yeah. If you have good insurance, that is. Right. <laughs> so, so some insurances, even though I want to put patients right away on um, a biologic, they won't let me. They will require that methotrexate first. Um, and sometimes that methotrexate does work. It's the cheapest one out there. And I'm, according to the guidelines, methotrexate and some of these DMARs are first line. Yeah, so so these biologics can work wonders. Um, you have injectables now. You have also you have infusions, and you also have oral medications. So it really depends on the patient's preference and the insurance companies, uh, which one they would want patients on. I mean, again, my, I I like these medications. I think uh, modern medicine has done wonders for our rheumatoid arthritis community and just autoimmune community in general. But you always, it's a Russian roulette with these biologics. Um, most of them have a black box warning of cancer risk, right? Mm -hmm. I've seen rashes with these biologics. I've seen um, different side effects. Um, so it's, to me, it's always a Russian roulette, whether you're going to get, you just take your chances of whether you're going to get side effect or not. I've seen patients that have been on these biologics for 15 years, no side effects whatsoever. They're living the best days yeah. of their life. I've seen yeah. some of them. Um, where they take one or two doses and they get a reaction to it, um, whole body rash. Some get cancer within five years, even though the chance of it is less, less than very minimal, less than 1%. So there's a whole spectrum there. Um, I've seen patients who develop antibodies against the biologics, so they have to, which is very common. You have to keep rotating the different ones. Mm -hmm. um, so I tell my patients, you know what? You can go on a plant-based diet or another anti-inflammatory diet of your choosing. But if you keep living, um, you don't change your lifestyle, you're pretty much fighting against the medications I'm giving you and they won't work as well. And, and I just uh, put on my podcast recently and shared a study that, that just came out in, I think it was last month, February, 2021, that the amount of uh, methotrexate in the study 
that was metabolized by your gut bacteria influenced how well the methotrexate worked. And they could predict using uh, computer algorithms based on your microbiome, whether or not methotrexate was going to work for you. Wow. That's amazing. I I don't know when that will come out though. (laughs) But but what this tells us is what we know intuitively is that we know that the microbiome is one of the variables as to whether or not the drug will work. Mm -hmm. Okay. So it's just been the first drug that for which that has been proven, but I'm sure common sense would prevail that all of the drugs are influenced by the gut microbiome in their efficacy. And so, you know, doing what you're recommending, which is get the diet right, your drugs will work better as well. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to piggy off of that because I'm so excited that you brought that up because there have been studies recently also on methotrexate and different drugs that uh, gut microbiome diversity also helps um, the treatment process as well, whether your methotrexate can work also. Um, and we know that uh, gut microbiome diversity is based around how many plants you eat, how much fiber you're eating as well. So it all ties back down to a plant-based mm. diet. Mm. It's beautiful, isn't it? It's yeah. beautiful. So we've talked a lot about, uh, you know, your clinic, patient uh, interaction, drugs. It's been awesome. Um, let's just tap in as a reminder as to why should we eat more plants? Would you like to go there and just talk about the benefits of eating more plants for, say, leaky gut or the microbiome, just as a quick refresher? Yeah, yeah. So um, our gut microbiome is comprised of over 10 hundred trillions of bacteria. And your gut microbiome is basically where your intestines are. And you have your gut gut bacteria and your bad gut bacteria. Um, so in all autoimmune diseases across all spectrum, including rheumatoid arthritis, you have something called gut dysbiosis. So that's pretty much your bad gut bacteria is overwhelming your good gut bacteria. And when this happens, something called gut dysbiosis. Um, you have something called leaky gut. So your the lumen of your gut where the food passes through and the immune system at the gut is only divided by one cell line. Um, and that one cell line um, is very tight. It's connected by tight junctions. So no um, bacteria, little food particles leak through. So when you have gut dysbiosis, you have leaky gut. So your tight junctions open up a little bit. So each cell there is a little passageway for the cell to communicate with the immune system. And this can have uh, an inflammatory process um, when you eat food that are very inflammatory that can um, contribute to gut dysbiosis. And this can stimulate a cascade of an inflammatory um, process that will eventually lead to the joints where like rheumatoid arthritis. So um, just getting a little to the science here. So you have um, two types of T cells. Uh, there's lots of ty- types of T cells, but the main one I'm talking about are your T regulatory cells and your T helper 17 cells. Those so your T regulatory cells are your anti-inflammatory T cells, and your T helper 17 cells are your inflammatory T cells. And these are also located at the gut. When you eat fiber, when you eat phytonutrients from fruits and vegetables, when you eat herbs, they help. Um, build up the T regulatory cells, which are anti-inflammatory T cells. And this is um, from your short-chain fatty acids breaking Mm -hmm. down. Um, So you generate short-chain fatty acids from fiber and short-chain fatty acids then translate signals to your immune system, which help build up your T regulatory cells, which again are your anti-inflammatory T cells, okay? And this in turn will circulate throughout your 
body and your immune system and will send, will just give an anti-inflammatory effect in your body. But when you eat processed food, uh, fast food, this will increase your T helper 17 cells. Um, and then this will send a cascade of sending an inflammatory um, process throughout your body. And not only is this done through um, the macroscopic aspect of things, but it also affects the epigenetics as well. There's not too many studies on this, but what we do know is that epigenetics are affected. So you have your genes. So autoimmune disease is genes and environment. Um, so you cannot get autoimmune disease without both things. Even though you have very, very light um, genes that might give you um, rheumatoid arthritis, they're still there. So epigenetics means um, your genes are fixed, but your gene expression can change based on how you live your life and the food you eat, whether you smoke, whether you exercise. Um, and it also is affected by your mom. How did, how did she live when you were a fetus as well? So yeah, we yeah. know that these things get passed on from generation to generation. Um, so your phytonutrients um, and your fiber from your fruits and vegetables affect epigenetics as well. And this can um, affect the immune system also. So it gets very, very deep here, um, but yeah. that's a little bit of how food is medicine and how it can help close up the leaky gut, um, if you can say it in layman's terms. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, thank you. Um, that's a uh, a great explanation. And um, I hadn't heard anyone uh, split out the the T reg and the T seventeen so neatly like that. That's uh, uh, thanks. That's great. Yeah. No. Um, so mm-hmm. let's see. I, I did watch a um, a spoly a spondy spondylo arthritis presentation that you gave online, and I noticed something that hasn't come up in any of our discussions in over 160 podcast episodes. No one has ever talked about salt, but you've addressed the inflammatory impact of salt. I loved it. Mm-hmm. Uh, could you just touch on that before we then wrap up and I send people to your website and so on? Sure. Yeah. So. Um- What's very popular these days amongst the plant-based community is the no salt, no oil, no sugar diet, uh, which not everyone can do. It, it takes a very lot of um, discipline to do that. Um, but salt, um, I would say in high excess, can be very, very inflammatory. Um, this isn't just something that's in uh, very, very small journals. This was actually talked about in the journal, New England Journal of Medicine. Uh, and it's been talked about in different autoimmune disease journals as well. So salt has been studied in different diseases, um, I would say rheumatoid arthritis, lupus as well. And I think some in um, human models as well, healthy humans. But just going back, it all ties back to the T regulatory cells and the T helper 17 cells. So your T regulatory cells, um, just to break it down for you, are very important to your body. Um, when you are fighting a virus and a bacteria, when you're killing off that bacteria and virus, you don't, you're throwing inflammation, right? You want inflammation in your body because you want to kill off that foreign object. However, you want that inflammation to calm down once that fighting is over. And what calms that inflammation down is the T regulatory cells. Okay. So, so T regulatory cells do that. But what's nice about T regulatory cells is that it helps your body from fighting itself. Okay. So in autoimmune diseases, what we have found is that your T regulatory cells are depleted. They're low. So that's so your body is fighting itself and it's um, and T cells are having a hard time um, helping your body from attacking itself because they're low. So what salt does is that it also depletes your T regulatory cells and it increases your T helper 17 cells. Mm -hmm. And what's interesting 
is that um, some of these pathways that these biologics are acting on are also stimulated by your salt, high salt intake. So your biologics such as um, Humera, Stellara, if you're a small arthritis, Atemra, um, some of these pathways into leukin 6, into leukin, uh, or TNF um, into leukin 23, these um, can be stimulated by high salt intake, and that's through the cells. So your T helper 17 is stimulated inside the cell, um, and then that increases um, another inflammatory cytokine called interleukin 17. And interleukin 17 can increase other inflammatory cytokines, but it can also um, put up receptors onto the cells where the inflammatory cytokines can also attach to. So um, some of these medications I'm giving these biologists that you are all on for everyone that's listening, um, salt can um, trigger these same pathways. So if you're eating a high salt diet, you're pretty much going against what your biologics are doing. So um, I would, I wouldn't say cut out salt completely if you like salt, but I would say always tell my patients just salt to taste. Yeah, great. Uh, fantastic. Which is what my recommendations are. You, If we rewind a little bit and you mentioned that, uh, you know, whole food plant-based and they'll love the SOS, the, the soul, uh, yeah, then that's that's Patterson program. That is like, I, I tell everyone, like, just, I basically say, do the most challenging version because that's going to give you the most impactful results in the shortest amount of time, which is really motivating. Mm. And then you'll say, okay, look, this, wow, this is having an impact. And then you can slowly reintroduce foods and become more diverse and live more of a social life. And you can eat at some, you know, approved places once you've asked the chef, all this sort of stuff, right? How, and what I say is to stay on that, is hard. And so we need, we can allow ourselves a little bit of salt, as you say, to taste. Mm -hmm. um, and so we obviously get rid of the table salt, but a little bit of Himalayan or Celtic sea salt, just so that you don't give up, basically. Yeah. Because it's hard. Will you, will you say that that's fair? Yeah, that's completely fair. Um, we all have a social life and not all our friends are plant-based um, and you don't, it's, it's, you don't want to um, isolate yourself from community yeah. either. Um, so I mean, I tell my patients, be realistic here. If you're, mm. if you're going out, um, just tell the chef, don't salt my food. Don't add oil or okay. um, minimize yeah. it. Yeah. And um, I would say if 80 to 90% of the time you're eating a whole food plant-based diet at home, then you're doing pretty good because that yeah. 10%, um, you got to have a social life with other people as well. Um, so I have some patients that don't, that, um, that don't want to go whole food plant based, but they've listened to me. They've cut down their alcohol intake. They have eaten, just increased their fruits and vegetables intake. And, um, sometimes that's just um, part of the battle that um, will really help with their disease. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I'm, I'm really pleased to have you talk about salt. It's not something I've addressed and I didn't know about those studies until I watched your presentation. So I'm really grateful and I'll include those studies in my work. Um, you know what I've found, and I want to know if you've had the same experience. I've found that the ultimate kryptonite for inflammation is oil. And if someone, and this happened to me as well, uh, if you inadvertently or, or you know make a bad decision, to have a little oil uh, with your food at a restaurant. I found a study that showed that the industrial style cookies where they reheat the oil over and over again, 
every time that oil is reheated, it like doubles oxidative stress or free radical potential. So it's not only just bad enough to have some oil, but when you're having the oil at a restaurant, you're in for absolute catastrophic outcome if you're not careful. So your position on oil is what I'm interested in. Mine, so you know, is oil is kryptonite. So that's that's what I've observed. Yeah, yeah. So um, yeah, I'm glad we brought this up. So oil, like you said, I completely agree with you. When you cook it over and over again, it's very, very inflammatory, especially at the restaurants. It's also carcinogenic as well. Each oil has a different smoke point. So when you cook above that, it becomes um, carcinogenic. So I would say um, some patients I have, they can't eat oil. Like, like yeah. you said, um, yeah. some patients can't have a little bit of oil and they do fine. I would, I would say it's up to the individual, but I would say very minimize oil as much as you can. If you're going to have some oil, extra olive virgin oil is probably the best one out of yeah. all the bunch. Um, I, I try to minimize oil, but I do eat processed food these days. Um, I minimize it. Like I eat out at restaurants. Um, they put oil in there. Sometimes I tell them to minimize oil, yeah. but they don't. Um, so Sometimes I do get a little pain here and there, but I think everyone, it's up to the individual. Sometimes I eat oil and I don't feel any pain at all. Uh So I'm one of the, I guess I'm one of the lucky ones. Well, you've done the work and and yeah, there's a threshold, isn't there? Because as we know, if if there's an existing fire and you go throw kindling on it, it's going to burn. But if the fire is really low and it's just a smoldering, you could throw a little dry leaf on there and it might not catch. Exactly. So I would say if you're eating like, doing very good job, 80%, 90% plant-based, no salt, sugar, oil, a little oil when you eat out. Um, I think your, your gut microbiome has changed. And I think your immune system has gotten stronger to the point where you can withstand a little bit here and there in a social setting. Um, yeah. but I mean, there needs to be more research on this. I I'm yeah. just speaking from experience and what I've seen so far, but we're, I think we're just at the beginning of research in immunology and rheumatology in general regards to food. So it's a very exciting time. Absolutely. Which brings us all the way back to your work and how important what you're doing is. I saw some commentary somewhere, which I think is accurate. I think you might actually be the only plant-based integrative rheumatologist that I'm aware of. Correct me if I'm wrong. There used to be a doctor called Charles Hubner, rheumatologist out of Illinois, who I was I was going to do some work with, but then he retired. So, you know, you're at the start of your career. He actually came to the end of his career. So, you know, it's very exciting to, to have you part of the community. And uh, let's talk about next steps for people. I know people are going to want to contact you. So tell us the best path for them. Yeah. So. Um like you said, I, I think I am the only plant-based rheumatologist out there because I've tried to look for another one. Yeah, right. <laughs> I know there's integrated rheumatologists out there, um, but I think I'm the part one of the first or not only, or maybe few ones that's going to combine functional lifestyle and integrative medicine together. Um, so I'm really trying to revolutionize this field in a way um, because I think each field of complementary medicine has something to offer uh, that can be very, very beneficial to us autoimmune disease patients. Um, So patients can see me all over the world. I've seen patients from the UK, Panama, from South America, and patients from all the United States can also see me as well. My website is www.drlifestyle.org. That's drlifestyle.org. And if you want, you can also see my wife as your primary care doctor as well. Um, so I have some patients who 
I am managing the patient's autoimmune disease, such as lupus, and my wife is managing the anxiety and depression from a holistic standpoint. And that's very common to have those diseases together with autoimmune disease. Um, so they can go through that website and then they can also just click on patient registration and then you log in, you put your credit card information. My pricing is on the website. It's uh, 400 US dollars for one hour, 250 for follow-up. And then we can talk about everything, your supplements, your herbs, your biologics, your diets, um, what needs to change because there's some nuances here and there. Um, some patients just can't tolerate wheat. Um, you, you can talk about gluten, glyphosate, and go down this rabbit hole. Um, oh, so isn't, it, isn't it a rabbit hole? Isn't yeah. it a rabbit hole? You just mentioned glycosphate. I mean, just that alone is like an hour. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so so much controversy like amongst doctors of, regarding that topic. And then your environmental toxins, I bring that in yeah. my clinic as well. So it's very, very easy to um, uh, see me virtually. I am in Newport Beach, California. So if you're local in California, you can just drive on over. Um, it's a very, very intimate clinic. Um, and I can just fit you in right away in my practice. Yeah, great. What I like about this, actually, I like that there's no insurance involved because there's been hiccups with trying to do telehealth uh, consultations uh, that I've experienced with some other doctors because of the complications of it with insurance. So this is just, look, here I am. Go online, pay the money. Let's talk, and yeah. and that that that's clean. It's simple. It's easy, and it's fair. So it also enables people not to have to contact an office during an inconvenient different time zone, trying to get you during business hours or your your front desk, and say I want to book. They can just do it at any time online. Exactly. So yeah. There, that's, there, that's there is no front desk. I am the front desk. <laughs> 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 You've kind of got like a virtual business, but you also do sort of some face-to-face, -face, you know? It's yeah, like, yeah, it's yeah. interesting. I, I, I've done yeah. uh, steroid injections in my practice um, yeah. with patients yeah. flaring. Um, they want yeah. that injection. And so I do, yeah. it's it's interesting how things have developed because I do work at a hospital clinic uh, one day a week, yeah. seeing bread and butter rheumatology cases. Um, and I do try to employ lifestyle there as well, but I don't get the luxury of time and um, that I do in my prior practice. Over there at the mm -hmm. county hospital, it's a four month wait to see a rheumatologist, five month wait, um, where you deal with insurances and all that stuff. But to see me, it takes like, you can, I see within a week, um, two weeks. Yeah. It's cool. And you know, it's a, it's a journey and there's just so much to offer. And I'm, I'm in the beginning of my integrative um, journey as well. I'm in my fellowship, I'm learning functional medicine and there's new technology, new science coming out all the time. Um, so. Really, there, there's a role for integrative medicine. There's a role for functional medicine and lifestyle medicine. I'm so happy um, that I can hopefully put a, a stamp on this um, space of autoimmune disease because there's so much, you know, um, you have your traditional rheumatologists that don't think nutrition has anything to do with uh, rheumatoid arthritis or any of these diseases. diseases. Um, but then you have your naturopaths and your um, functional medicine doctors say it does, it does, but then they say, don't take medication. So I'm trying to blend both fields, trying to give the best of both worlds, um, using my experience as well, the patient goal to figure out what's the best plan for them. Oh, I love it. You know, I, I couldn't, like, I love it. Capital L-O-V-E, uppercase, you know, billboard love. Because what tends to be a little bit blows my mind is just to echo what you're saying. I mean, it, it's quite it's it's quite strange that in these 2021 
you can see a specialist in your condition who doesn't know the wealth of published evidence to show that a change in diet influences the outcome of the disease. That, that you know, I don't have words to express my disbelief that the person who's prescribing and managing your condition in some cases hasn't read that if you eliminate, like we've talked about, those offensive foods, that you will improve. Like, shouldn't that be sort of the most primary, most crucial piece of the puzzle? Yeah, you bring a good point, Clint. Uh, so during our fellowship and training, we don't get taught anything about nutrition, even regards to rheumatology. Um, so even as a trainee, I was the one teaching my bosses, my attendings about this. I gave a grand rounds talk so to a bunch of doctors and rheumatologists um, regarding lifestyle medicine and rheumatology. Um, so in our, in our journals, um, even there's some um, paper on diet and lifestyle and arthritis and autoimmune disease. We usually glance over it and because what's it, what excites us, right? As rheumatologists, the drugs, what's the latest drug? What's, which drug is better than which drug? Um, so that what, that's what we talk about at our universities and stuff, not diet. Um, and some, this, how did I get to this point? You know, I didn't learn it from my training. I had to dig for it myself. I had to, you know, literally go in and look at journal articles um, myself, listen to podcasts, really dig into this whole thing by myself and figure out why did I get better um, doing what I did. And Usually, if you're not a patient, um, usually don't believe that integrated medicine and nutrition will help you unless you experience it yourself, like you, Clint, you know? Like that, like that. You've just nailed it. Because you're also the patient, you've got that passion to find the answers. And without that, you just think, well, surely I know everything about this. I've spent years studying this. I, therefore, my cup of knowledge is full. Exactly. It's not the case. Exactly. Um, As specialists, you know, you think you have all these years of training and you think you are the master of what you know. And if there's someone that is not a rheumatologist that comes by and tells you, oh, this diet worked or this um, this uh, integrative way worked, you you brush them off because you think you are a know it all as a specialist. And um, as doctors, we have really big egos, unfortunately. And you know, as a patient um, that's been on this path, it's really humbled me. I thought before as an MD that, you know, this is the apex. This is where all the knowledge is, you know, and all these natural things are just um, bogus. But uh, that's absolutely not true. Being um, now learning all these complementary medicine fields that there's a place for them. There's a reason why patients get better on food alone. And there is a reason why patients get better on supplemental herbs. So really... Um, it's really humbling and I'm just so happy and grateful that there's someone like you out there that's a patient as well that has um, really put a dent into this community and really given hope to a lot of um, patients as well. Well, we can share a lot of information. I've put together a guide for rheumatologists that I've been sharing with uh, uh, my clients for, for many years, which is a sort of a three-page like very, very dense basis of, of, of evidence that's, uh, you know, reasonably re- readable, even though it's so dense with references that follow for about 10 pages. But um, I'll share that with you. might save you a little bit of time. And also I'm uh, finalizing a book. I actually, I'll actually give you a copy of the draft and you can uh, maybe help me uh, do a little checking on some of my uh, my claims and, and, and references there. But I think in that book, you'll also find 
uh, again, just the sharing of the studies, isn't it? It's not like, you know, what I'm saying here is not like, hey, I've discovered, no, not, I've not discovered something. No, what I've found is here's the reference to someone who has discovered something. And um, with that, with a big collection of those and some you may or may not have seen, it can help us share this, this, um, this journey. Oh yeah, no, definitely. Mm. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. And um, I think we're just in the beginning of our research. There's yeah. so, much, so much more research coming every year. Um, I think in the future, uh, we're going to discover that environment plays a bigger role than we think. Um, mm. Insecticides, pesticides, I have the papers for that if you're interested. Oh, yes, please. Yes. Yeah. Um, so you're going to know more than rheumatologists. I think you already know more than rheumatologists already and doctors in general with all you're doing. So um, I'm very, I'm looking forward to your book. Yeah. I'm very excited because I want to write a book for myself in the future so we can definitely collaborate. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's exciting. It's really, really exciting. So um, we've got a couple of things that I want to talk to you about, uh, um, uh, about doing stuff together in the future. Um, I'll save that information for the audience uh, once we confirm and lock that in, but some really exciting stuff uh, for coming up down the track. So this is only the beginning of our, of our uh, new relationship. So to wrap us up, uh, I'd like everyone to uh, jot down drlifestyle.org. So drlifestyle.org, where you can go and get a one-on-one -on -one private consultation with Dr. Mika Yu and Mika Yu, I'm sorry, and um, get either a second opinion or begin your journey with him, with your uh, rheumatoid or inflammatory arthritis, whatever it might be. And um, we will be in touch again, Dr. Yu. Thank you so much for coming on this show. Thank you. And if you want to reach me on social media, my handle is myautoimmunemd on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok. If you want to see me dance and uh, Twitter as well. <laughs> my Autoimmune MD, Fantastic. I'll see you there. Thanks again. Thank you so much, Clint. Pleasure. Thanks for listening to Rheumatoid Solutions. If you'd like to get more help to live an easier, healthier, and happier life, visit rheumatoidsolutions.com.